Want to teach your kids financial literacy, but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey. Coming up. The family of Sylvia Matthews is trying to get answers about what happened in the months before Sylvia's death and trying to figure out if the system failed Sylvia Matthews. For Vault Studios, I'm Will Johnson. You're listening to The Daily Crime. Clearly, Mr. Garrett had something about Miss Matthews that he fixated on. And when someone does that, it's really hard to understand the how and the why and what to do about it because it's irrational. Sylvia Matthews lived in the same Washington, D.C. house for 20 years. In early December, she was killed inside that home, but it wasn't the first time that police had been to her house. I'm joined by investigative reporter Nathan Baca at WUSA 9 in Washington, D.C. Nathan, thanks for being here. Thank you very much, Will. Nathan, this story has some really rather shocking elements, but tell us first of all about Sylvia Matthews, the victim in this case. Sylvia Matthews was a woman who had lived in this house in southwest Washington for decades, and she lived alongside one of her nieces as she lived uh, alongside, uh, she lived with her mother for many years as well. It was a family house for decades. And this house, police say, was constantly targeted by one man, uh, Michael Garrett, uh, over a period of uh, decades. And this house became almost haunted by this man uh, in the 90s and ultimately in the 2020s. And Nathan, if we go back to, in some ways, the beginning of this story, or at least her relationship with this man, she met him when she was working uh, at a jail and he was an inmate. Is that right? Right. Uh, So Sylvia Matthews used to work as a drug counselor a drug abuse treatment counselor at Lorton Correctional Facility in Virginia. That's where D.C. inmates used to be housed. And uh, Michael Garrett had 32 arrests and 14 convictions by that time in the 1990s. Uh, He lived a life of crime, uh, of convictions for everything from burglaries, assaults, cocaine charges, uh, kidnapping, uh, he had been arrested uh, for other crimes as well, including rape, but uh, never convicted for those particular crimes. But he had been in and out of the jail and prison system since 1975. Uh, and so in 1996, uh, while Sylvia was an employee at the uh, jail housing D.C. inmates, they met. And... The connection between the two of them afterwards, whenever uh, Michael Garrett got out of prison, was at least such that court documents said that they were boyfriend and girlfriend. And in 1998, in November 1998, the two of them were in a car together, according to court documents, and a witness watched as Michael Garrett attacked Sylvia Matthews with a hammer in the face, and she was... Uh, severely injured and 
Garrett was charged with, uh, with assault in Prince George's County, Maryland. And it wasn't until a few months later in 1999, while that trial was ongoing, uh, while that case was still out, that police say that Matthews was at her home in southwest Washington, shared with her mother, and Michael Garrett broke into the house by trying to pry open a door, and Sylvia Matthews had just enough time to run next door and call 911, and police found Michael Garrett, according to court documents, in that basement, hiding in a closet in the basement with a crack pipe. And so he was arrested, and they sentenced him to 24 years, at least 24 years prison. And he wasn't supposed to be getting out until uh, 2023. There's actually some debate about that because originally the parole board computed that his sentences were to be served consecutively, which meant that he was not supposed to be getting out of prison until 2035. Um, So, and Michael Garrett's years in prison were quite troublesome. Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million families building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey. That's greenlight.com slash odyssey. So Michael Garrett is eventually released early due to COVID concerns. And following that release, that's when things truly begin to unravel. In January of 2021, Michael Garrett, through a pro bono attorney, files for compassionate release on a few grounds. He believes that because of his age, he was above 60 at the time, because of COVID-19 going through the um, prison that he was in, uh, D.C. inmates sometimes are housed in uh, prisons outside of the area. And so he was in a, a prison in West Virginia. And he was trying to make the argument that because of his age, because also of an injury that he had had in 2014 when his eye was stabbed with a spork uh, by another inmate that was on psychotropic drugs and um, had stabbed him in a cafeteria fight. And also because of the length of his prison sentence that he had already served more than 20 years, that he should be let out. Now, the U.S. Attorney's Office said, no, he shouldn't be let out because there were times when in prison he wasn't uh, a a good inmate. Apparently, according to... um, prison documents, uh, he one time told a female guard during a time that the female guard was trying to uh, get a control of him, he told that female guard, when they let me out, I'll show you what type of man I am. And the psychologists at the prison that had been interviewing him was saying that, you know, he has some, uh, some rage issues and an inner rage at his parents for not being there, and that also Garrett had stated, and I quote, I need someone to love me. So 
They also were objecting, the government was objecting to the compassionate release due to COVID because they said that due to the age of the case and also the closure of the Federal Records Center, they had been unable to notify the victim, Sylvia Matthews, or her family about possible release. But when Federal Judge Robert Oaken did agree to that release in March, that did not appear to be a factor in his decision. So according to court documents, the victim, Sylvia Matthews, was not informed of the release, even the pending release, of Michael Garrett. She had no idea until it happened. And that is also what the family was saying as well. Family of Sylvia Matthews told me that the release of the man who had stalked her 20 years prior was a complete surprise to her until he shows up at the front door. When exactly was he released? He was released in March of 2021. And then he shows up at her door months after that, right? Yes. According to 911 records, uh, Sylvia Matthews calls police, D.C. Metropolitan Police, October 7th, 2021, saying that uh, he's at my front door, he's shouting to try to get in, he is physically trying to break in, and so police respond, and they arrest him. They arrest him for um, trying to break in, and keep in mind that at this time, Michael Garrett is on probation as a condition of his compassionate release for COVID-19 exposure, he is given three years probation. And typically that means that if you're arrested for anything, you are going right back in. Now, when he's arrested October 7th, that the system typically flags a probation and parole officer saying this person is violated. They were arrested for a crime, let alone a crime related to the victim. And keep in mind that as a condition of his release, uh, Michael Garrett pledged in court documents to never contact the victim, to never contact Sylvia uh, Matthews. He pledged in court that he was to never contact Sylvia Matthews, and yet police say that he did. So that happened October 7th, 2021. And by October 15th, 2021, there was a notice of noncompliance where the probation officer tells the judge he is not complying with parole. And at this time, I have not seen any information that indicates that anything was done because shortly afterwards, on October 22nd, he tries again, according to police reports. And Michael Garrett confronts Sylvia Matthews just outside of her work. Keep in mind that Sylvia Matthews is at this point a D.C. government employee. She's not somebody working at some sort of obscure situation or just staying in her home all the time. She works for the D.C. government, working on their insurance claims department, according to what family is telling me. So when she is confronted just outside of her work, uh, trying to get groceries... It appears, according to police, that Michael Garrett stalked her, even to the point of stalking her at work. And when that happened, um, a police report indicates that she told police that he threatened to kill her 
and even held a corkscrew up to her neck. She called police. Police responded. And this was after the notice of noncompliance of his probation. And at that point, uh, it is unclear what D.C. Metropolitan Police were able to do to try to either confront Mr. Garrett or what actions they took to find him and stop him. And we're still trying to figure that out. But what we do know is that afterwards, on December 3rd, the day of Sylvia Matthews' death, is that around 7.30 that morning, police say that Sylvia Matthews called and said that Michael Garrett was breaking into her car and trying to break into her house. Police came. They didn't spot him in the neighborhood. At 8.44 that morning, police say that Sylvia Matthews called again, saying, he's in the neighborhood. I see him. By the time police came, he wasn't in the neighborhood anymore, or at least he wasn't in sight. But he was still on the phone with Sylvia Matthews, according to police reports. And so Sylvia handed the phone to a police officer and said, you talk to him. And police reported that they told Michael Garrett, leave her alone. Do not contact Sylvia Matthews. And then they left. And a few hours later at 1120 that same morning, a neighbor said that they heard a person matching Garrett's description shouting at Matthews through the door at her house, trying to break in, and then heard a scuffle inside. Call 911. By the time that police got to Sylvia Matthews' house, they found Sylvia Matthews mortally wounded with severe facial wounds, apparently dragged from her living room to the bottom of the basement. And then they also found Michael Garrett in that same basement. He claimed at first that he was the one that called 911 and that he just happened to be in the area and found Sylvia Matthews that way. Police report that they found not only that Garrett had not called 911, but that he appeared to have what were defensive wounds on his hands. They held him at gunpoint, and they arrested him in the same exact basement that he had been arrested 22 years prior. What are the charges that he is facing now? The first initial charges are assault with intent to kill. However, D.C. Metropolitan Police informed uh, the prosecutors that they intend to increase the charges. Um, we do not know if those charges will include um, first degree or second degree homicide, but we are waiting to see what the final charges are at this point. I was in court to see, I saw Michael Garrett in court just this past Thursday, and uh, he, again, is a man in his mid-60s. He was just head down the entire time, audibly sobbing as nieces of Sylvia Matthews looked on and um, just shocked that all this time this had been going on. And the family of Sylvia Matthews is trying to get answers about what happened in the months before Sylvia's death. 
and trying to figure out if the system failed Sylvia Matthews. When you look at the history and the timeline, it, it is disturbing. And I know that after airing this on WSA 9 in Washington, D.C., you got a lot of feedback and viewer responses. Can you tell us about that a little bit? Sure. You know, this is a case where stalking is a situation that organizations like D.C. Safe, which is the um, district-mandated organization to handle domestic violence cases, they have been saying that, especially in light of the pandemic, uh, cases of domestic violence in the district and in the area have skyrocketed. And But this is a case that seems to bridge whatever is going on in the pandemic. This is a case that has stretched on over two decades. And there is concern about whether or not protocol was handled by D.C. Metropolitan Police officers responding that October. And that's what we're trying to investigate to see whether or not the situation is that when when a person calls saying that they are a victim of domestic violence or that there is a suspicion of stalking, there is a protocol in place that on-call advisors are supposed to be uh, handed the phone by a police officer to victims and say, to get that victim on the phone with an on-call counselor. And we are currently looking into whether or not that protocol was followed. Family members say that protocol was not followed, and we are trying to confirm that. All right, Nathan Baca at WUSA 9 in Washington, D.C. Thanks for talking to us about this. Sounds like more to come on, on this one. Thank you very much, Will. Thanks for listening to The Daily Crime. Be sure to check out our weekly show, True Crime Chronicles, available wherever you listen to podcasts. For Vault Studios, I'm Will Johnson.